Hello and welcome to Bubbly Bibbly, the podcast about books and bubbles, literature and libations, authors and alcohol. We love books and bubbly. We are friends who offer a curated book review section on our website and a hilarious podcast. We discuss books, drinks, and stories from our lives. I'm Rachel. And I am Carmen. September is one of my very favorite months. It's my mom's birthday month. Happy birthday, mom. And the birthday month of my very best friend from high school, the late but still great, Ronald Juan Tyler Jr. Well, happy birthday to your mom. And it's also John's birthday. He had a birthday last week, too. Yay! But I'm really sorry to hear about the loss of your friend. Oh, thanks, thanks, thanks. You know, um, both have been extremely important to me, of course, and I am so happy to say that my mom and dad live very close to me, and as we all age, I know that each and every moment with them is truly a gift, but it makes me miss Ronnie even more. Um, as a met, can you hear my cat? Uh huh. It's okay. Okay. We have pets. Okay. You're fine. Okay. okay. As a matter of fact, I have started to call his mother and talk with her, which I think she loves, and it gives us both a chance to remember this very, very special man. Want to tell me a little bit about him? Yes, yes. Ronnie was a good, kind man. He was very smart, witty, very artistic. He could play any musical instrument he set his mind to, and he even composed music for middle and high school bands. That's extraordinary. Yes. He was also gay, He was gay in a time that it was not okay to be gay. Like so many kids from the 80s, we graduated from high school in 1984. He had to live a life on the outside that was different from what was on the inside. And he got no support. He didn't even come out to me or his family until he was in college. And that is one of the reasons I think it's so appropriate for September to also be the month that we focus on banned books. In this episode, Carmen and I are going to talk about banned books, but more specifically, those books that are most challenged in high school years and why. Okay, Carmen, I'm putting my little... Facet or hat on tonight. Your fascinator. Fascinator. I am drinking a (laughs) Dubonnet and gin, which is in honor of the late Queen Elizabeth. What is Dubonnet? It's an aperitif, like a Campari kind of thing. It's nice. um, Rouge color. But supposedly she drank this every day, either before lunch or as a nightcap, or maybe Mm. both. Who knows? Go queen. But this is how uh, her little, I don't know what you call it, but the guy is in charge of her wine and all that stuff at the, Mm -hmm. whatever. This is how he wrote it. You pour one part gin, two parts of Dubonnet in a small glass or chalice. 
Add half a lemon wheel to the mixture, then top with two perfectly proportioned ice cubes, sinking the lemon into the cocktail. And then note, add more ice at your own discretion. You know, funny side note, I saw and uh, the Queen passed this this week yes. as we are recording. Um, I saw a side note say that the Queen did not like square ice cubes because she didn't like the sound they made on the glass. So all of her ice cubes were rounded. I have no idea if that is true or not. You know, I read it on Facebook, so it must be. It's probably <laughs> true, which is so kind of funny. I love that. But cheers to the Queen. I am all about band cocktails tonight, so I am drinking absinthe. Now, absinthe was banned in certain countries because it was associated with illicit behavior. Wow. But <laughs> there really are no properties that will cause a person to become a criminal or cause loose morals or inspire murderous behavior any more than a very, very high alcohol content, which is why absinthe is supposed to be diluted. And because many of the books that we will be talking about in this episode that have a character or storyline that, that's homosexual, it is very appropriate for another name for absinthe to be the Green Fairy. Oh, so, so cheers, Ronnie. Cheers. I'm reading Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I think I've said this before, but if she writes it, I will read it. She has quickly become one of my favorite authors. I love all the little Easter eggs she includes in each book. It's like a little throwback to one of her other books. So this book is about a tennis star making a comeback after a five-year retirement after a knee injury and surgery. And she's like, God forbid, she's like 34, <laughs> which is ancient <laughs> in tennis that history. That is so old. <laughs> but it's really good so far. I love it. Well, I finished two books this week. The uh, first one was uh, The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave, which I cannot recommend. And The, ne the Maid by Nita Prose, which I can recommend. So I, I am I, a little in shock because my response is the exact opposite. Really? Yes. That is, that's so funny. You know, let me tell you though, I listened to the last thing he told me mm -hmm. and I read a hard copy of the maid. Okay. So I wonder if that made a difference because one thing that I wrote in my review about the Laura Dave book is I'm pretty new to the audiobook thing. Right. And if if you don't like the reader, does it ruin the book? Because you know what I mean? I, I did do. not like this reader. And I but I still don't think that I would have liked the writing. And there was just you didn't it, like the almost, ending. The ending I loved. Really, where he came and like picked up that piece of paper and. Uh huh. I don't know. I just it was like a like a gentle touch at the end. I loved it. Okay. I don't well, know. Um, and the maid, I thought she was just whiny and complaining, and woe is me and her, in her. I don't know. I just wanted to. 
flower. You know, the maid. <laughs> the, the, the maid is what I think Eleanor Oliphant was for a lot of people because I felt the same way about Eleanor Oliphant. She just got all, all over my last damn nerve. Right. And I think the maid was... I think that I felt about the maid the way a lot of people felt about Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Right. And we're completely opposite on, on that one. Like I liked Eleanor and I didn't like the mm-hmm. maid. I don't know why. That is, it's, that is so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I have, I, I did write uh, reviews for both of them. They're on, they're on Goodreads, but I need to post them on bubblybibbly.com, which I will try to do this week. As we have said again and again and again, the love of reading can start very, very early. Right. With picture books. When you read Mm -hmm. to a child using picture books, you are helping him or her associate the pictures with words. That visual to text association is very important in laying the uh, foundational stones for learning. And you also have to gauge your child's interest. So if they love big machinery, get books that focus on dump trucks and front end loaders and some such like that. But likewise, if they love birds, get a book that focuses on beautiful photographs or illustrations of birds along with interesting facts. Right. And then as she or he ages, you may find yourself in the market for graphic novel or chapter books, something that will engage them a little deeper in the pages of the story and hold their interest on several levels for a bit longer. Don't make the mistake of thinking that graphic novels are glorified comic books, which some people think they are, while there are illustrations and storylines that can be a lot more complex uh, and introduce more complicated vocabulary. These graphic books and novels help to grow their reading comprehension by engaging them in a deeper material. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then suddenly your baby's 14 and entering high school. And the next thing you know, you have the dreaded reading list. <laughs> Which we talked about. Oh, my yes. gosh. And first things first, Rachel and I always recommend that you read the assigned book or books with your student. If you read throughout the summer, set a number of chapters per week and then discuss them almost like you're having a family book club. Maybe you can make notes of ideas and feelings, concepts, some new vocabulary words that you're learning and experiences that touch your student. And all of these Weekly meetings can be important springboards for discussion as you read or later as they've had time to think about and percolate on the topic. I love that for sure. And you will also, as a parent, start to familiarize yourself with that personal sense of themes and topics that you know, he or she is reading. Like, what are they talking about in school? And we all know high school is a training ground for the entrance into society. And we need to make sure that we're giving our students all the tools they need to deal with this ever-changing and increasingly diverse world. Yes, and that's a great segue into one thing that I want to stress, and that is If you take the book away because you don't agree with it, 
or you think that your child is not emotionally ready to process the material, you you actually may be doing a disservice to your child because when you remove the book, you are removing his only way to understand and question the topic in a safe place. You are not removing the person, place, or thing with which you don't agree with from reality. You're just removing the topic from the ability to have a conversation with you as his parent. That's so true. That's so right. If you don't think your son or daughter is ready to read about people using profanity or having premarital sex or sex in general or underage drinking, you're sorely underestimating the environment that your child is in right right now in high school. I don't care mm-hmm. if it's a private school, public school, or home group or your home school, these kids are having are meeting other children and having classroom experiences. The fact that they're going to face things that you don't want them to face. Um, I, I didn't read that right. I was trying to, but the fact that you're trying to keep things from them that you don't want to face and you don't want them to face. Well, that's, that's your job and everything, but you can't keep it from them. What you have to do is prepare them for dealing with it. And there's no better way than by reading with them through these topics. It's like you, like you said before, it's that safe place. It's a book. You're not, you're you're only going to be doing them uh, a favor and helping them grow as, as a person. There's a school in Texas, the Keller independent school district who has removed 41 challenged books from its shelves to review them under a new board policy that passed last year. Wait, can you just tell me how many again? Sorry. 41. 41 books. Now they are, and I have to say, they're removing them because they have previously been challenged and they're going to review each book under a new board policy. So they are removing them to review. Okay. But anytime a book is removed from a shelf, I am alarmed. I do not care if it is the worst book ever written, if it is gratuitous in ways that would sicken the general population, or if it's just a piece of trash. When you remove a book that you don't agree with, You are making the decision for everyone that they cannot and will not read that book. And that is just not your decision to make. I remember you talking about your friend, Scott, who took issue with the word banning books because books aren't actually banned in the United States. I'm not sure why, but we seem to have turned a corner since he probably made that statement, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And I wish Mm -hmm. we could still say that we would or could use the word challenge to be more accurate, but there are some places that are indeed banning books. Yes. It's very interesting to unpack the meetings or debates when these books come up. It's usually the parents requesting the book be removed while the teachers, students, and librarians are all giving reasons why they should not 
remove the book. I don't know if the parents don't see that they're squarely in the minority or what is clouding the vision on their stance. I think it's partly the desire to protect, preserve, and maybe perpetuate the innocence of their children, but removing any literary component is not, not, not the answer. I remember reading of a school in Fayetteville, North Carolina. There was this open discussion of removing titles and one high school senior stated, books are the epitome of life. As a senior asserted that he, that the protested books should remain in the libraries and the classrooms. A fellow senior student also offered more support in, in the argument saying that taking the books off the shelves would quote unquote, be depriving students of an education about the world around them. Love that, while adding that yeah. it is hateful and intolerant to portray these books as pornographic. But of course, the parents think they are doing what's best. Yeah, it, it's, and you know, that that is all we, that's all we do as parents is we just really try to do our best. But um, it's really a trying time and it's hard to get to the facts because social media and 24 hour news, they're really all about who gets the most viewers and views. And while I will be the first to admit that outlets like NPR do not present an entire array of facts, the fact is that Keller Independent School District did remove 41 books for its shelves for a reassessment. And what did Keller call this biased reporting? An unhinged mob. That's what Keller called the reporting. That's what we are to them for crying out quickly and loudly against their action. An unhinged mob. And you know, to just make this a little a little more antagonizing for everyone, do you remember where the word hysteria comes from? Uh, yeah, so hysteria <laughs> originates from the Greek word for uterus, hysteria. Yes, yes. As if women are suffering from a malady that doesn't affect men in any way. The very discussion of this gets me as the doctors described, hysterical. When you say unhinged <laughs> mob, first off, NPR, I don't feel as unhinged. <laughs> right. But I would actually be interested to know the breakdown of those who call for the books to be removed. Um, but maybe that's getting a little off base. We want to talk about some specific titles and why they're being removed and are removed. As I said earlier, challenges seem to be on the increase. ALA, American Library Association, the president, Patricia, Patty Wong, said in a statement, there are, well, there's 729 challenges. So she said the 729 challenges tracked by the ALA represent the highest number of attempted book bans since they be uh, began compiling the list, which was like 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It does amaze me that people think they can make this kind of decision for all readers, but I truly think they don't realize it in this way, or they just don't care because they are so self-righteous. But let's, I, I tell you, I'm going to have to refill my, uh, my glass and let's come back for more. 
The reasons for wanting to remove a book can be questionable indeed. In our own state, Anne Frank, The Diary of a Young Girl was outlawed in Alabama schools due to sexually offensive passages. Adding to this, as the site reveals, four members of the Alabama State Textbook Committee called for the rejection of this book because it's a real downer. And that's a quote. Real downer is a freaking quote. It's a real downer. Among other banned books and the authors is Alice Walker's The Color Purple, where the parents and school leaders in Jackson County, West Virginia, banned the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel due to its sexuality and socially explicit nature. In addition to the book's troubling ideas about race relations, man's relationship to God, African history, and and human sexuality, while banning This book was banned in 1992. It was finally returned to the public school shelves after nine months of rigorous debate. Nine months. Um, That's such an interesting number because, uh, number one, that's the number of months it takes to make a baby. Uh, Yeah. And And it is the number of months. That you're in school. That is correct. Yes. So rigorous debate. They probably kept it out and put it in the first day of summer, bastards. Exactly. Um, and I will say, <laughs> I'll say again to all the people who call for books to be removed, you are removing a book from the shelf, not a reality from life. Your child is still going to experience this stuff. Your child is still going to hear these words, be exposed to these ideas, and be tempted into these actions. You removing a book is not going to help in any way when it actually hits home. But if you have read a book with your child, talked about the topics and characters, and then expressed how you feel and what you believe, you've just given your child an arsenal of tools that he needs to deal with it. Yes, Yes. You have not forced his head in the sand. You have met it head on in an educated and loving way. Yes, Carmen. I totally agree. Did you know the majority of the books challenged this year have LGBTQIA plus themes? Mm -hmm. Reading these books will not make your child gay unless he or she already is. I'm sorry, Rachel. Can you say that again? It doesn't make your gay to read something about being gay. Right. That's exactly right. Uh, Just like I didn't turn into witchcraft or using witchcraft when I read Harry Potter. I didn't turn into a wizard. (laughs) I really wish I could have. Yeah. (laughs) At least to turn a light on. But anyway, uh, reading these books will not Remove all gay people from the path of your child. All you're doing is stunning them emotionally from being able to interact with all people and respect all people and give all people dignity. You cannot pretend that this doesn't exist. And by removing a book, you're not doing anything. You're not helping any anything. Right. You know, my big concern is that Many people are using their beliefs as the reason to remove these titles, but we don't all believe the same. Why should some be able to set a rule or precedent for all? Why do the people who are most vocal seem to be the ones who get their way? Is it, you know, the old adage, the greasy wheel gets the grease, um, or the squeaky wheel gets the grease? 
isn't that a nice way to say, do anything to shut them up? And, you know, I've posted about the Keller School on my social media, and I really encourage every one of our listeners to do something about this. Have you expressed your outrage? Are you outraged? What are you doing? If we aren't careful, another old saying goes, the inmates will run the prison or the animals will run the zoo. And all we have to do for that to happen is nothing. I think this is such an important topic for parents with young children because I really do feel like we have talked about this so many times. Reading a book is a safe place with you and your child to discuss things that are going on in this life. You don't, this doesn't mean like all your books have to be about uh, gay characters, or it doesn't mean that all your, you know, all your characters have to cuss or have sex or whatever, but it does give you that opportunity to, as you said, discuss with them in a loving way and give them a heads up on how you would deal with it. And it's a great way for you to stay connected with your child. And high school is, uh, I really feel like we should have talked about more t- more actual titles here instead of yeah. the rant like we normally get on. But high school is the the last time your child is in your home, under your jurisdiction, under your your constant supervision and tutelage, and still really listening to you and interacting with you. Right. And that's why it is so important that when these books come up, instead of challenging them, you you just really need to read them first. I read somewhere where most of the books that are challenged, the person challenging them, they're doing it on hearsay and rumor. They're not, they haven't read the book. Right. That's right. And, and I don't even understand how that can how, happen. I know, I know. And, and so I just, it's just so important. So important. The sound of our cheering fans means it's time for Bubbly Bibbly Talk. We have been putting up quite a few TikToks, both individually and together. Go, Carmen! <laughs> and we really appreciate you watching them. As we're recording this, we're actually about 17 followers shy of hitting a 1,000 followers. So please continue oh. to like, share, stitch, and promote our site and entries. We really appreciate it, guys. And don't forget to continue to use the hashtag bubbly bibbly. Uh, the <laughs> I sounded like an old woman. And don't forget to use the the hashtag bubbly bibbly. <laughs> it's like I've got the diabetes. Um, don't hey, forget to in. use. I'm not cutting that out, Carmen. Sorry, that's staying in. <laughs> don't, don't forget to use hashtag bubbly bibbly whenever you post about reading or drinking or anything else related to those things. Anything you think we'd be interested in. We really appreciate all of the support for us on social media. You remind us each day that we really have your support, and we we love it that you guys like, love, comment, share post, repost, stitch, or anything you else, anything else you like to do, 
Uh, we love it. It helps keep us in the forefront and grows our account every day. Okay guys, let us know how you feel about books on book lists being challenged. I'm putting that in quote. And it's okay if you don't agree with us. This discussion needs to be held in a way that is respectful, uh, adult, and mature. You guys know we love you no matter if you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and continue to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and at www.bubblybibbly.com. And if you are against banning books, please take to social media, write letters, and just in general, be that squeaky wheel. We cannot let those who have yet to form an opinion think that challengers are the only vocal ones. And remember, Stephen Chabosky, author of The Perks of Being a Wildflower, said, Banning books gives us silence when we need speech. It closes our ears when we need to listen. It makes us blind when we need sight. <laughs> <laughs>